And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. It is Wednesday. We have gotten through the middle of the week and we have survived so far. Jason Hutt here in the super secret underground bunker at World Headquarters, where uh, we are keeping an eye on lots of different things here. But today we're going to talk books in a minute. Uh, First of all, though, a real quick programming note. Uh, we did not have a triple bites last night, and uh, that may be on the back burner for a little bit. In the meantime, if you want to save some money, you can save 10% when you use promo code SciFi for me 10 at superherostuff.com. We got an email this week. They've just loaded up a bunch of new winter gear for uh, for everything. So uh, that's that's on the table and tonight the walking and rolling costumes virtual party continues it is uh it is a, an event that we've been the broadcast partner bringing you stories of uh families and volunteers these uh this is a nonprofit group based here in the kansas city area they build costumes for kids in wheelchairs kids with walkers uh, kids with special needs and uh, tonight is night number six as we roll toward a brand new costume reveal on Sunday, you can find out more at walkandrollin.org. No G's, except at the end. And uh, speaking of costumes and cosplay and comic books, Robert Greenberger joins us today. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you, Jason? I'm doing well. Welcome back. I'm delighted to be here. It's always a good time chatting with you guys. Now, you seem to have everything kind of lined up. You were mentioning that you got a new microphone for your Zoom setup there. And uh, I guess the the next question is, how has that uh, worked with the school stuff? Because you're teaching now, and you're still having to do uh, adjustments and adaptations, I suppose, with all of that. How is that going? Actually, uh, better than I had expected. Uh, School started September 3rd, and we very carefully rolled it out so that we had just the freshmen uh, the first month. Then on October 1st, sophomores came in, and we're talking hybrid. So we're talking kids were two days a week, either Monday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Friday, with Wednesdays and asynchronous days, so the building would be thoroughly uh, scrubbed down. And, And... uh, that worked really well. The sophomores came in and we allowed some of the freshmen to go to four days a week and so far so good. And we've only had one COVID case in six weeks, which we consider a really nice batting average. That's good. Um, our protocols must be working. Uh, the quarter ends on Tuesday next week, and then we're going to have a little break Thursday, Friday. They just announced they're giving us two days off, which is great. We could all use a break because we've had no days off. And uh, second quarter begins with the juniors and and seniors joining us on November 2nd. So I think rolling it out this way has been wise and it's working. Um, As for the technology, I got to say, I've got half the kids on the screen behind me. I've got half the kids in the room in front of me. I've got a, a Bluetooth earpiece so I can move around the room and be properly heard with a good mic as opposed to what the, uh, Laptops got built in. Um, we got a nice camera added to the laptop as well, and it's working. Well, that's kids good. aren't crazy about it. Teachers aren't crazy about it, but it's working. Well, and I've I've seen a lot of discussion back and forth about how much everybody has been having to just kind of twist themselves into pretzels making this thing work. And it's nice every now and again to get a good report with some results that people can live with for a while, I guess. We can live with it. And it's not ideal. Um, You know, I know the kids from the nose up and a lot of it, I recognize them by their hairstyle. So when they, if I see them unmasked, it takes a moment. Right. And I still don't know everybody as a human being yet because the online people, when they say, Hey, what's new, what's happening? Tell me something good. They go, nothing. (laughs) So it's hard, you know it's hard to get to know them. Yeah. Well, you know, teenagers, right? Well, so what what subjects what subjects are you covering right now in your classes? This year it's uh, ninth grade. I've got all the freshmen, so that's five of my six classes, and it's introduction to literature, 
and I'm rolling out a new curriculum. Uh, another teacher and I designed last year uh, because we wanted to turn it into more building blocks so that we started with what is literature. Right. And then go poetry, mythology, short stories, you know, so the building blocks of what literature is all about and its evolution. Um, so far, so good. Oh, and the other okay. class is uh, Honors British Literature, which is my juniors. Oh, okay. All right. British Lit. That's always yeah. that's always fun to dive into, I tell you. Um, they'll tell you otherwise because they don't <laughs> like uh, the challenges of the epic poetry we started with, with Beowulf, mm. and now we're doing Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. Canterbury Tales. And that's next. Yeah. Uh, what was it? What else did we have? Great Expectations. Uh, Silas Marner was in there. I don't remember. I don't think Silas Marner is British. Um, it's not, and I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Canterbury Tales will follow that with Macbeth. Got to get some Shakespeare in there, oh, sure. right? Sure. Uh, then we'll do the uh, the Romantic Poets, Frankenstein, The Importance of Being Earnest, then 1984. I remember when I read Count of Monte Cristo. Sure. And but he's French. That's French. And but you had Count of Monte Cristo, you had Les Mis, and you had mm -hmm. not not really great expectations in that same category. But Les Mis and and Count of Monte Cristo seemed to almost be the same story. And I was struck by the similarities between uh, the yeah, two. Yes, and, and you know, escape prisoner, sure. reinvention, and all that. So, but it is yeah, fun no, to good, to good examine. And, and discuss some of that stuff. So hopefully you'll have some lively conversations with your with your students on that stuff. They tell me they don't like talking online. So when I get them back, some of them back in the classroom starting next week, I'm going to hold them accountable. <laughs> They're in my room now. There you, you better go. talk. So let me let me ask you this. Now this is this is not. You've got a background in comic books, DC, Marvel. Uh, you you were at Starlog, you were at Comic Scene. Yep. I mean, all all of that leads you to be an informed voice. So this is not a gotcha. This just came across my emails. Yeah, sure. The Ringo Awards uh, mm -hmm. just announced that Kevin Smith is going to introduce Jeff Johns as a keynote speaker. Oh, very cool. And this comes, you know, we haven't heard a lot from Jeff in in recent days, months, years, because the only thing really we've been hearing is all of the stuff dealing with Ray Fisher and Justice League and that kind of thing. Is this, does it, how long does it take? Uh, I don't know if you're familiar at all with, with the way Ringo Awards are set up. How, a little bit. Does, does it take a while to set these things up or is this one of these last minute things? Let's try to rehabilitate Jeff John's image at this point. No, I w actually wouldn't be surprised if this has been in the works for a while. Um, Jeff may have gotten some, you know, a uh, little mud thrown his way because of what happened on the uh, Zack Snyder Justice League film. Uh, and I gather it was not a great work environment, but he's got a big hit on his hands with Stargirl on, on the CW and, uh, you know, HBO Max. So I'm thinking, um, you know, Jeff's also writing some good comic material. Uh, people seem to like his Shazam. Uh, he's still a mover and a shaker in the entertainment and, and, and crossing from comics into other media. Um, he probably has still good things to say. Now, is how well do you know Jeff? I don't want to put you on the spot, but it's... no, I mean, you know, back when I was in DC Collected Editions and he was writing a lot of the books I was collecting, we, we would talk about the content and, and a little bit about comics. Um, but we, you know, we were never close. There were not a lot of, you know, sitting around with a cup of coffee or a beer um, talking about the business. Right. Okay. Well, let it, let's, let's talk about the business a little bit, your business sure. here. Uh, last year, we had you guys, we had you back here in uh, February of 2019. You were about to uh -huh. launch your very first Thrilling Adventure Yarns collection here. Yep. And this is the, the first edition. You got 400 backers. You get uh, over $11,000 on this. You were well over your goal. Oh, yeah. And now you are back with your second volume, Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2021. It is currently funding on Kickstarter. And uh, you've got 116 backers so far. You've got 24 days to go. Uh, your goal looks to be a little bit higher this time. 
Yeah, um, last time was 4,500 and I'm trying for 6,000 because I really want to make sure I get I bring in enough to pay my authors. Um, if there was that much enthusiasm, I wanted to tap it early and sure. hopefully get past it because I wanted to go to the stretch goals um, where I want to do uh, four more stories by different people as well as get the illustrations again. So I'm at what is it, $4,200 right now? So I'm about 72% of goal. So I hope to hit goal in the next couple of days. I hope, I hope, I hope. And then start working on the stretch goals to add the authors, add the illustrators. And, you know, I'm trying something different this time, which is, you know, if I can get all the way up similar to where I was last time, uh, a Kickstarter exclusive cover. Now, this is the regular cover that's going to be on the yes, book here. This that's is the by one uh, Gary Carbon who uh, has done a lot of the uh, pulp, uh, the shadow and, uh, sorry, Spider and Doc Savage for uh, Will Murray and uh, other writers. Um, he, he nailed it. He got me exactly what I want. The cover is based on Paul Kupperberg's story. So uh, it's a moment taken from the manuscripts. And I'm looking here on, uh, on the list of people that are involved, Aaron Rosenberg, Michael Jan Friedman, Glenn Hallman, Mary Fan, Paul Kupperberg, you mentioned him, Russ uh, Colchamiro, is that how yes, I say that? Yes, how it's pronounced. Okay, David Mack, Paige Daniels, Will Murray, Carissa Laurel, and new authors, uh, William Leisner, Danielle Ackley-McPhail, Dayton Ward, and Kevin Dil Dilmore. I know those guys. Greg Cox, Heather, uh, Heather Hutzel, Kelly Fitzpatrick, Michael Bernstein, Richard White, Scott Pearson, Shelley, uh, Sherry Cook-Woolsey. Some of these names I'm not familiar with. Well, sure. I mean, you know, there are so many authors out there, Jason. Yes. There are so many people, and these days with self-publishing and smaller presses, it gets uh, it's hard to find uh, out everybody and read all of their stuff and know who they are. Yeah. Uh, that's the beauty of conventions, where you know authors mix and match, and we get to meet one another and, and sample each other's work or personalities. Even sometimes it feels like speed dating when you're at these author events and you're you know you're talking to this person and that person. Yes. Um, I was introduced to Paige Daniels and Carissa Laurel through uh, Mary Fan, who's part of Crazy Aid Press. And um, others like uh, Kelly Fitzpatrick was a winner of uh, Pocketbook Strange New Worlds uh, anthology contest for Star Trek writers a couple of years ago and has become a mistress of flash fiction as well as a fellow English teacher out of Michigan. Um, so adding her, you know, was a no brainer for me. And at the last Shoreleaf convention, um, no, I'm sorry, Farpoint back in February. Um, I was introduced to Sherry Cook Woosley, who is a other Maryland author I was unfamiliar with, but um, she had the goods. Uh, you know, so the, it varies. Uh, people like Michael A. Burstein, um, you know, Nebula, sorry, Hugo Award winner. Uh, Richard White is another area uh, writer. He does a lot of comic, well, mostly uh, pulp themed uh, writing. So everyone comes from a different corner of the universe. Um, I'm mixing and matching this year because it's a pulp magazine. And yeah. sometimes you have recurring writers and other times you bring in other people. And you've also uh, listed here that you've got uh, another story from Lester Dent, the creator of Doc Savage. I do. The uh, advantage here is that uh, Will Murray is the executor for the Lester Dent estate. So last year when he offered me one story, um, it, it was like an amazing thing to know they existed. This year, I was trying to see if there was any other um, great pulp master who might have unpublished work out there, like a Maxwell Grant. Couldn't locate any, and Will offered me a second unpublished uh, Dent story, and I said, I'll take it. <laughs> this time, it's a mystery. Now, have you had any contact with, like, say, maybe the Arthur Conan Doyle estate or Tolkien or uh, Robert E. Howard estate at all about anything? Um, no, actually, I haven't. Um, as far as I could tell, the Howard estate um, would be willing if there was anything left unpublished. But as far as I know, his archives have been very well mined since the 1960s. Yeah. Uh, the Doyle estate, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't even considered that. Maybe there's a, a an unpublished John Carter short story somewhere around. Well, now, and uh, in, in that in that light, though, I mean, you look at stuff like uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You you have mm -hmm. characters that have fallen into public domain. Has there been sure. any discussion back and forth about maybe doing something like that, where you collect some various different characters from different places and put them all together in a mashup? 
funny you should mention that. <laughs> um, I am a member of the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers. Right. And we are actually at work on something we haven't formally announced yet, but we are going to be doing an anthology of original works based on public domain characters. Fun. From the obscure to the obvious. Well, and I'm co-editing that, and uh, we'll be announcing that in the next couple of months formally. Now, is that going to be a crazy eight publication? Actually, um, we did a previous anthology of essays, and we self-published that through our um, organization. I believe that's the plan, although I'd be thrilled to have it come out through Crazy Eight. Uh, we haven't had those discussions yet. Well, you might you might have an in with one of the co-founders. I think maybe. I hear, uh, yeah. I hear he yeah. might be easy to talk to. Uh, sure. In the chat over on YouTube, we have Robert saying uh, he adores Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. This is his favorite poem. Uh, Ryan Ryan says the cover looks enticing. Way to go. Congratulations on the Kickstarter. Oh, thank you. Uh, it says, also ask, what do you enjoy more, writing long-form stories or short stories like what's in the, the anthology here, the Thrilling Adventure Yarns? These days, at this point in my life, partly, I think, because I teach most of the year, um, I can do the short stories, and they fit, and it scratches the writing itch. Uh, I've been struggling with long form for a while, um, which is odd to say, considering I wrote a novel in June, but things happened. I mean, that was happenstance. Uh, but original work, I, I've definitely been struggling with long form. So right now, short form seems to be more satisfying for me. And uh, I would imagine that it's probably easier to to collect shorter pieces. I mean, not necessarily when you're doing an anthology, but if you're assembling a bunch of work from a, a bunch of different people, then, you know, in terms of the time and, and, okay, well, we've only got two months to put this thing together, knock out a thousand words or 5,000 words as opposed to 600,000 words. You know, and... In, in that's the beauty of crazy eight where we set the schedule based on our needs, not on somebody else's needs. Like marketing says, I need 10 books in this quarter or something. Right. We don't have that. Um, we try and do our anthologies tied to conventions because we know we're going to have a cluster of authors of there to help, you know, sign the book and sell the book and promote it. Um, we're there to, you know, talk about it in person. Uh, but if we need an extra month or six weeks, we'll, we'll take it. We'll, you know, um, every author in Crazy Eight basically says, "I want the book. Where, where can I put it out and not conflict with the, one of my peers?" You know, the funny thing is, I remember when uh, uh, when you guys first launched Crazy Eight, when we had a couple of, of articles covering it ten years ago. Yeah. Where has the time gone? I mean, it it doesn't Every it doesn't feel like it's I ten have, years. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, I've got some I've got some white in the beard, and and it's got my kid's name on it. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, ten years have gone by just almost in a blink. Does it feel like it's been that long for you guys that are that are no, in not it? Really? No. No, you know when when we realized it was coming up, it was like oh my gosh. Um, even, even now we're into our 10th year and we were still trying to figure out some of the cool things we could try and do to, you know, celebrate it other than the logo and, and more books. Um, haven't hit the sweet spot yet. We're still talking. Yeah. Ryan asks, have you approached Howard Weinstein to write a short story for Thrilling Adventure Yarns or some future Yeah, project? actually, um, Howard um, did an award-winning Western novel called Galloway's Gamble about two years ago. And I know he's writing the sequel. Sorry, the phone's ringing. That's no, all right. <laughs> I'm just dumping it. Anyway, um, I asked Howard, would he like to do a story featuring those characters uh, to bridge the first novel and the second novel? And he said, um, given his, what's going on in his life, he really wanted to focus entirely on the novel. I would love to have him. Are you no. kidding? He's one of my oldest friends. Is, is, there, uh, is there a list like that i mean besides howard have you got other people that you would love to have in, in your in your sandbox working on this yeah, stuff I mean, you know, um oh, in the first and the second volume there there was definitely a wish list of authors i reached out to some some couldn't do it based on schedule some uh, didn't want to take the chance on a thrill uh, kickstarter campaign to pay them um others never got back to me that's just the way of the world no. um but yeah the list exists and i keep adding to it 
Now, you mentioned Kickstarter and being able to pay. The Kickstarter is an all-or-nothing thing. And yes. last last time we talked a little bit about the difference, the, you know, the decision-making process between choosing Kickstarter over Indiegogo. And I've had a number of conversations with people that have done one or the other. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the things that got pointed out to me earlier this uh, earlier this week actually was the fact that Indiegogo has the the extra features, the add-ons, uh, the things that you could put into the campaign. Not not just the fact that you could you get however much you raise, you get it, as opposed to Kickstarter, that's an all or nothing thing. Uh, it, with the success of the first Kickstarter campaign. Was this kind of a no-brainer to go back to Kickstarter, or did you have a discussion of whether or not to stay with Kickstarter or flip over to Indiegogo? If there was a discussion, it was me, with me, myself, and I, because this is my book, my, my project. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about Indiegogo because it was so successful with Kickstarter. It meant I knew how to, to reach those 400 backers. Right. And um, a number of my peers also have been successful with Kickstarter. I knew I could count on their support to cross promote. And that's going to happen starting this week uh, because normally you get a real burst of, of sales and interest in the first couple of days. And then it peters out until like the last week and then things get frantic. Yeah. So that second and third week, I really need my, my friends to, you know, spread the word and uh, keep, keep the uh, machine humming. Well, and let's look at some of these stretch goals here. You've got a hardcover option that opens up at 7,000. And let's see what else here at 70, 7250, including a story from Stuart Moore, uh, who's got quite a bit in his geek cred, I guess, Vertigo, Marvel, uh, Ahoy Comics, St. Martin's Press, 7,500, and uh, a story from Ron Mars. 7750, a story from Jody Lynn Nye. I mean, you just start adding adding more names that people will recognize. Uh, let's see, Jonathan Mayberry at 8,000, 8,500, uh, three signatures. Oh, yeah, so I these mean, are going to be signed copies. Yes, okay. um, or probably given COVID, um, I'm going to print up a book plate, send the book plate around to all the authors to be signed, and that'll accompany hard copies. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, black and white. I, I like the idea of black and white illustrations here at, at, at the 10,000 level. And some some good names there. Mark Wheatley, Peter Krause, Jerry Ordway, Carl Kessel, Tom Mandrake. You it's know, quite the impressive I, roster there. You know, considering I'm not paying a lot for any of the illustrations, um, some of them did it because they had time in their schedule. Others did it because they liked the, you know, the in and out of it. Others did it as a favor to me. Sure. Not for the money. And um, I'm already getting people lined up should I hit that goal. Well, and and given that you have people that are committing to the money as far as backers, mm-hmm. uh, you make the goal, then the money is there. I mean, it's it's not really so much a question of whether or not anybody's going to get paid. I guess it's it's whether or not you can afford whatever fee they quote. Well, you know, you, you look at it, you know, I get to the 8,000 level. I've now paid for four more writers, $2,000 more. I can now pay for about 27 illustrations yeah. because, you know, um, we're talking about, I'm going to bet this book is going to finish up at about 130,000, 140,000 words. That, that's a lot of reading. There's been a lot of back and forth online in social media about page rates and how much... Mm-hmm writers and illustrators are getting paid from especially the big two but you the you know, some of the other publishers have been mentioned that you're you're not you're not getting paid what you're worth as as talent and uh, having been in that industry would you say that that's a fair assessment for for just painting in a broad broad stroke well, you know, in the comic book business, um, the big two and, and probably the next couple um, beneath DC and Marvel, um, their page rates let people do a book a month and, and make a nice living, plus royalties and original art sales and whatnot. Um, the equation changed as the distribution channels changed, as collected editions became uh, a money generator for everybody. Um, but sales you know the, the the pie has gotten smaller yeah. and yet the number of publishers out there um you know everyone's getting a different slice and i think that has depressed um 
the top rates. And I know that a lot of companies have not raised rates and in some cases have cut rates and people being asked to do work uh, at like, you know, 50 bucks a page, they used to get 200 a page for, and Mm. it's hard to make a living that way. Uh, It's really tough. And not only that, but you've also got, you know, you mentioned royalties. My understanding is that those only kick in after a certain number of copies have been sold. So you, you've got every, a number of them that has a different deal. Um, you know, Marvel, I think, still calls them incentives, but they're really royalties. But yeah, you, you know, uh, I think it's 40,000. It used to be 40,000 uh, copies heard, would cover yeah. your page rate, treat it as an advance and everything after that would be uh, a percentage. And of course, creators got a slight a taste, you know, as well. Um, it's on a really good book. I mean, people made a lot of money through the years. Yeah. Now we've seen uh, in, in the wake of all of this, that's been going on, you know, the, like you say, the depression of sales and the, in the industry getting smaller, we've started to see people like Scott Snyder, Sean Gordon Murphy, you know, marquee names over at DC and Marvel uh, doing their own crowdfunded books. And mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of talk about owning your own IP and being in control of your characters and being able to develop and exploit that on your own and you get to keep everything. Is this something you think has long-term value is is this going to stick around in in comics for a while because you've got a lot of comics that are getting crowdfunded on both platforms Mm -hmm. and the discussion is always i get to do my own thing and it's that control factor more than anything else plus you're selling to a dedicated fan base in some cases you're on book three book four book five in a series and mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about the distribution chain, you know, Diamond going away or, you know, DC dropping UCS or you know, any of that mess. You, you can just, okay, it's me and it's the people who are buying my book. And it seems like there's a there's a almost a paradigm shift here in the industry. This doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. Well, think about it. It's been building since uh, the creators broke away to form Image in 1992. And it's been growing ever since. And people see the Mark Millers of the world with their deals at Netflix, uh, with their original IP getting you know snapped up. Uh, and Kickstarter has matured. Uh, Indiegogo has reached a point now of you know saturation through the marketplace, um, where people can trust um, backing these books and getting them. Now, there are some creators who have you know had successful campaigns, and then you wait two years for the book. Sure. Um, you know, and then as and there are some, and there are some who have had, yeah, and there are some who have had cre- uh, successful campaigns and never delivered the book. And you know, and that's your professional reputation. Yeah. Um, you know, guys like Scott Snyder, who really you know catapulted into superstar range uh, because of his work at DC, has reached a point where he's got stories he wants to tell, and uh, with Vertigo being less of an option these days, you know, he's still doing American Vampire there, but he's got other stories he wants to tell. If he wants to create his own label and and go through Kickstarter and, you know, cut out so much of the middleman, you know, that's great. The catch is he has to be able to deliver and, you know, not everyone is a good businessman. Not everybody, uh, you know, can operate without the support system a publisher can provide. And that's a case by case, you know, choice. Now, did you have any concerns when the news came out that Kickstarter had to lay off staff? Or did you have have worries that that was going to impact any any future projects that you had on the table? Frankly, um, as a backer of, of I think over 150 different projects over the years, um, I'm recognized that it's still a viable option. It's still um, a good place to find interesting products, uh, some, you know, electronics, as well as barbecue sauce, as well as, you know, <laughs> reading material. Um, you know, every business is suffering this year. I'm not taking, I'm not seeing it as a major warning sign yet. Um, you know, check back in a year and we'll see post COVID what, what's going on and, and what we uh, will see and do. And obviously the next time I have a project, I will see what, what the uh, landscape's like. Now, do you have a tendency to lean toward uh, the crowdfunding self-published before you talk to to your colleagues at Crazy 8, or does it just depend on the project? 
we talk to each other. Um, so, you know, I may say, hey, I'm thinking of doing a second thrilling adventure yarns. And they go, sounds great. Love to be part of that. And then I go, well, you know, probably kickstart it again. And nobody said, ah, uh -uh. nobody warned me off. Because, uh, you know, many of them, especially Glenn Hellman, is, keep his his ear to the ground of this stuff. I mean, he's very close with some of the people at Kickstarter and has been able to give me some good insights. And he's done Indiegogo campaigns as well. So I, I lean on people who have experience and expertise. Right. So I'm not working in a vacuum. Now, you the, the names that you mentioned with with experience in that are, are on the literary side of things. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you talked to anybody on the comics side? Has there been any discussion with any of those people about their experience because I, I there are a lot of them that are talking back and forth and sharing lessons learned with each other as far as the fulfillment and the kind of printers to use and the shipping and all of that. How much okay. how much do you have conversations with other people that have done any kind of Kickstarter project? Um, if I have a question, if I want to consider create space versus lightning source for printing my paperbacks or hardcovers. Um, I've talked to the people at Backer Kid about, you know, what it costs to, to have them do my fulfillment. Um, I'm always asking around and I recognize things shift. So what worked for me in 2019 may not work for me in 2021 when I have to actually print and ship books. Sure. Um, I recognize it's a dynamic uh, marketplace. But yeah, I do talk to some of the comic creators I know who have been very successful. Um, I'm really admiring people like Ron Randall, who took his character Trekker, which used to be a dark horse, and he's been doing Kickstarter after Kickstarter after Kickstarter with this character in this line of uh, adventure stories, and he's making a nice living off of it. So, you know, I definitely turn to guys like him who are definitely making a go of it on a consistent basis to hear their experiences. All right. Now, in the chat, Ryan's got a couple of questions. What advice would you give someone who's interested in writing or trying their hand at it? And would you consider adding more writers to the Crazy Eight Press roster? Are you are you actively looking for new voices over there? Okay, for each of our anthologies, each each person behind them uh, decides who they want to use, and sometimes they make put it out there as an open call. They're definitely looking for new voices. Um, they take recommendations from their friends and their peers, plus stuff they've read. As for brand new people who want to get started writing, you know, there's a million online courses. There, there are things like, you know, Neil Gaiman's masterclass video lessons. Um, there are local area workshops and writers groups and all. Uh, but it's, it, it starts with sitting down and actually writing. Do you have the discipline to sit down and actually start something and finish it? Right. Do you have something you want to say? And I don't mean just tell a story, but what is it you want to say as a writer? Something about the human condition, something about, you know, uh, work through a problem you've had in your own life and you do it through a story. Um, if you've got that, then yeah, I mean, go for it and find some people who can give you uh, good feedback. I mean, certainly any convention I appear at, we usually do writer workshops of one sort or another. Um, most conventions do that these days. And those are fabulous opportunities to um, be, be part of a collective uh, discussion. Crazy 8 as an entity, uh, it's the, right now it's the core writers and every now and then a project comes along that one of us takes under our wing and adds to our roster. And some of it is because we have an opening in the schedule. Sometimes it's because somebody's looking for a home. Um, I did that with um, Jim Beard and the, um, book he published um, earlier this year on uh, Batman, the 1966 TV show. He had a series of creative essays done for each of the uh, episodes. Um, he was going to self-publish it. And I said, hey, you know, Crazy Eight would love to do something like this. We'd already done one collection of um, comic-themed essays, Hey Kids Comics, that Rob Kelly did. Uh, and he said, sure, we'd love to be part of that. And uh, so we took that in. Volume two is in the works now. Um, Michael Jan Friedman took under his wing, so to speak, uh, Christopher Abbott, uh, who, who uh, is working on his own fiction. We, we're gonna be publishing his first novel, Progenitor, on November 30th. You know, so, so it's not that we're looking, but we are not close to the idea either. And obviously no one, you know, it's like, we're not a publisher. We do, we do not offer an advance to publish their books, but we do give them an umbrella 
a place where they will have a support staff of fellow writers who can shout from the mountaintops to support and promote their works. Right. Um, and you come to our website for a Peter David novel or a Glenn Hellman book. Oh, look, there's a Christopher Abbott book. I, I don't know anything about this, but here it is. Let me check it out. You know, so there's a value to that. It's uh, it seems like it's the similar type of thing over at Wordfire Press, Kevin Anderson's outfit. Where you, Kevin Anderson's a, uh, Bookview Cafe. There are a bunch of these hubs that yeah. are really useful. Uh, Girl November in the chat says, hi, Bob, and everyone in the chat. Uh, Ryan oh, hey, says, Heather, how's the knitting? <laughs> uh, Ryan says, what Crazy 8 Press book or story would you want to see adapted into a movie or a TV series? Oh, some good choices there. Now, I'm going to admit we've got, I think, 66 different titles out. I haven't read them all yet. Um, I am actually very partial, um, given what's being done on uh, Netflix and HBO uh, with fantasy these days. Um, there's a mythology-based series that I created with Aaron Rosenberg and Paul Kupperberg called Rodeus, where all the gods from all the pantheons have come back to earth and said, we have returned, go home to your ancestral lands and worship us. And our series of stories takes place 20 years later to see how the world has changed. Mm. And I think that could be really interesting. Um, different take on gods, similar, you know, different from American gods, which is um, coming back for season three on stars. Right. Um, but I could see the potential for that being a real interesting anthology type show. All right. Girl November says it's going well. I guess the knitting is going well. Uh, now, let me let me circle back here for a second on on first time authors on early, early writing and such. Sure. One of the things that has come up in a number of discussions with authors that are debuting with their very first novel and a lot of them are self-publishing. And you mentioned Create Space. You're you, mm -hmm. the the place where it seems to fall down is in the editorial phase where you have uh, a bunch of authors that, you know, we've got the bug to write. I want to write my story. I'm going to write my story. And then you have some people that are maybe beta readers who could give feedback, but true editorial services, the process of editing the book saying right. this piece of your baby needs to move or be cut away or something, you know, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. This has to, that seems to be the point where some of it breaks down in the process, but that it also on the flip side, it seems to be that's that's one of the more important places where you should not skimp. It's it's but it's yes, a vital that's piece. People, that's where people gulp a lot when they hear the hundreds of dollars that freelance editors, professional freelance editors, charge for their work. Right, and you know, time is money. Um, there are more than a few incredibly talented people out there who offer these services, but there are people who are like, I'm writing this book and my beta readers say it's really good. You're absolutely right. But the, when they say, all right, I can upload it for, you know, design it and upload it and do it all myself and I keep all the profit. Yeah. But yeah, you don't have a professional set of eyes looking at it to make sure not, not only is the writing good, does the story make sense? Yeah. Beta readers are fabulous. I use them myself, but we're all human and you want a professional set of eyes on this. Um, I cannot stress enough that if you can afford it, you definitely should build into that. Um, one of the criticisms I received uh, in the Amazon reviews for Thrilling Adventure Earns is um, they kept finding typos, which bothered me because every author proofread their own work. Um, so you know, I'm not making a stretch goal or anything, but I'm trying to build into my budget to hire a copy editor. Sure. Now, and, and to be clear, a copy editor is different from right. a story editor. I, I am I am the professional editor of these stories that, that are in this book. So I have, say this plot line works, this characterization works, this dialogue might need a tweak. I do that. I, I edit the manuscript, get the author's uh, buy-in on that. So yeah, that that's the content editor. Copy editor is all about grammar and syntax, spelling, um, proofread, and sometimes basic proofreading. And that is what I would like to hire uh, for volume two to make it critic proof. I have uh, noted a couple of different occasions recently looking at news articles, uh, both on genre sites and in the regular news media, 
where it seems like copy editors are lacking because uh, I'm starting to see sentences begin with objective case. Him, him and his producers, him and his friends, uh, just like, no, 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 that's not how it starts. Well, that, that uh, is the contraction in media. Yeah. That, that is where newspapers and magazines are all suffering and, and people like copy editors are among those trimmed or there are too few people doing that job with too much copy to pass through. So mistakes happen. Right. Um, I'm not saying it's an ideal set, set of circumstances, but it's, it's a numbers game. Yeah. Uh, since it's Halloween season, favorite scary movie or TV special? Wow. Speaking of TV special, I, I do want to note yesterday was all over Facebook. I was horrified to discover it's the great pumpkin. Charlie Brown will not be on primetime television I for know. the first time in like 55 years. Right. It's going to Apple as Apple TV. Yeah, I think, like right. Horrifying. Oh, that is that like childhood vanishing. Yeah. That's a, that's a disgrace. It's that's uh, terrible. You know, as a kid, the universal horror films, when they hit television really had an impact on me. Things like the original Bela Lugosi Dracula and the original Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Um, and there's a lot to them that are hokey these days, but the atmospheric, the, the black and white photography um, still is, can, can be very effective. So I'm going to go with the originals. So uh, speaking of that, you talk about that kind of story. What should we expect to show up in this new anthology here? What's What kind of thrilling adventure yarns do we get this time out? Okay. Um, we've got uh, three different science fiction stories, uh, one with aliens, one set in a future society. Um, I've got a couple of supernatural occult horror um, stories that are um, one deals with religion for people who like that sort of thing. Um, I've got um, Cherokee Wolseley stories, a actually a very fun Western story on the on the rails on the railroad out west. Um, so that that that's a good one. Um, I've got. Two-Fisted Adventure is what I'm calling it, including our cover story by Paul Kupperberg. But I've got um, Aaron Rosenberg created a character named Cannon Bell, who's a Revolutionary War um, masked heroine. Um, she appeared in the first book. She'll be back for this one. Uh, Will Murray has dipped into the public domain and has written a Sherlock Holmes story. Um, I've got um, Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore basically are doing... Um, a fun story with the operatives for the cloaked masks avenger because you know we've got doc savage and his fighting five and we've got the shadow with margot lane and shrevy and all those guys their story is about those operatives for their fictitious masked character which is it's fun a little bit of comic relief definitely changes the tone uh for fun yeah um uh, Heather Hutzel's story is, uh, she calls it more of a cautionary tale than anything else um, about the early days of Hollywood. Um, Greg Cox, Ron Mars, uh, Ron's story gets in, same with Stuart Moore. Uh, they're doing sword and sorcery stories. Um, Greg's, I just put an excerpt up at the, the Kickstarter site today to try and whet uh, some appetites. And um, we have two, two romances, one of which is uh, mine. I've never written a romance before. I wanted to challenge myself uh, for my contribution to the book. So something for everybody. Well, and I guess that's the beauty of the pulp label is that you can cross over all sorts of genres with that because they told all sorts of stories back then. It wasn't just an Indiana Jones, Doc Savage type. It was, you know, you could tell... You know, science fiction. You could tell monster stories. You could do the adventures in the jungle and the and the big and the big snake and mm -hmm. everything's kind of fell under that umbrella of pulp. Right. I mean, there. I mean, there were the specific science fiction titles like thrilling and amazing. There were the weird tales for the occult stuff and there were western titles and war titles and aviation titles and all but then you had something like all-star where tarzan debuted which featured multiple uh, genres and that's kind of what i'm modeling our anthologies after um so it's something for everyone now are there are there crossovers like the, you mentioned the western 
Are we mm-hmm. are we doing cowboys and aliens, or it's just cowboys and Indians, or you know, a, t- a traditional um, western, or we got a western with a little bit of a spin to it? It's a western with a dash of wild wild west imagination. There's there's an invention that becomes the uh, MacGuffin for the story, and it's you know not quite real. Yeah. All right. Now, timing on this question is is fortuitous. Girl November says, I don't know if it's been asked. But is there a genre or a specific property that Bob wants to write for or about, but hasn't yet had the opportunity to explore? You've just done the well, romance. Is there anything left that you haven't dealt with yet? I've talked about of the challenges of writing long form in, in my life, but of late, while I've been working on this book, I guess, um, there's a half-finished outline in the back of my mind that has been scratching at me that wants to be finished maybe which is actually a supernatural crossed over with organized crime story okay so that's i've written neither of those right so maybe able to you know do a two for one so uh so uh sam spade with ghosts type of thing uh more contemporary but um you'll see more demons than ghosts Ah, okay okay all right the supernatural seems to lend itself to a lot of different types of stories you could do not just you know ghosts and goblins and ghoulies and demons but then you've got the werewolves and the monsters and and you can put those in a number of different types of settings and you know the themes that are there whether it's body horror or identity or or uh, what is it to be a, you know, a, a sentient person type of thing? I mean, there's all sorts sure. of questions there. Do you prefer any particular type of story to explore certain themes when when you're writing? I think, it. you know, some of it depends upon the, the theme. If there's a theme I'm trying to explore or someone has invited me to write for a particular type of book uh, and I think about the specific box that they're asking for. Um, I don't think there's a a single answer for that because it really is based on whatever it is I'm trying to write. Sure. Now, the Thrilling Adventure Yarns, that's the pulp. Yeah. Are there plans for, you know, now you've done your second one. It looks looks like you're on track to at least make your goal. You're probably going to beat your goal again. Are there plans to do any different types of anthologies like maybe we do one that's just aliens just ray guns and spaceships just fantasy uh, just supernatural you know again it's up to every crazy editor uh, writer editor um if they would like the helmet anthology and what it would be um if thrilling adventure yarns is successful this year and I, I think about a third volume maybe it should be specifically themed um I haven't gotten there yet. You know, part of it depends upon feedback from readership. You know, they would like to see more of one genre over another. I would certainly, you know, consider it and maybe, maybe experiment. There have been, you mentioned Michael Jan Friedman before. He edited Strange New Worlds, the the competition uh, anthologies for. Uh, that uh, was Dean Wesley Smith. Dean Wesley Smith. That was Dean Wesley Smith. I, yeah, I, the other three named person. The other three named, yes. So, have have you thought about doing any kind of competition anthologies, or you know, because they mentioned open submissions and they're, you know finding new talent. Peter David had talked about doing some sort of a competition for one a project he was considering that hasn't quite gotten off the ground yet. Um, so maybe I'm mean, not ruling it out. Um, the very first thing we did, we actually had a little competition um, back ten years ago. Um, when we wanted to announce Crazy A Press, what we did was on the Friday night of Shore Leave um, for a dollar, because we were raising money for the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, Mm. we held a contest for a dollar to enter this contest, write the opening line, and then at the Crazy A panel on Saturday, we would read all the opening lines, let the audience pick the line that they like best, and then we would do round robin writing in public at that convention for a novella. That was oh, wow. our first publication. Yeah. So, you know, contests have been part of embedded in our blood. The other, uh, the other uh, aspect of that, the, the other type of anthology would be kind of a partnered thing because you've got the sci-fi channel, 
you've got, uh, you know, now that you've got all these streaming services with Amazon and, and, and CBS All Access and, and those kind of things, has, has there ever been any kind of discussion about doing a, a partnership like, you know, Crazy 8 Press or, or, or Robert Greenberger edits Sci-Fi Presents this collection of stories? Would you be open to something like that if it came up? Years ago, actually, when I was on staff at Weekly World News, so we're talking about uh, the mid 2000s. Okay. Um, I actually had a series of, of meetings with uh, an exec at Sci Fi Channel about novelizations of some of their Saturday movies of the week, you know, the Sharknadoes of the world. Oh, right, right. Um, it went nowhere, but it was a really interesting conversation because publisher, you know, at the time um, he couldn't find the publisher interested in doing that. Uh, we have talked with um, IP holders about Crazy Eight um, getting involved um, when they were actually using Kickstarter to fund the uh, Veronica Mars movie. I reached out to Rob Thomas to see if we could nab um, rights to the novelization or future novels uh, with the character, which apparently they hadn't considered and then went out and sold it to one of the big names. <laughs> so um, we've been a little bit burned. Yeah. Uh, we're open to it. Um, there are certain people creating IP that has been kickstarted or Indiegogo'd um, that have come to us about possibly working with them uh, on books should they, their projects ever come to fruition. So we don't say no, but we got nothing cooking at the moment. Are you open to uh, prose versions of any of these comic books that are crowdfunding? If somebody were to come to you and say, hey, you know, or, you know, like a Scott Snyder or Ethan Van Skyver or, or anybody that comes to you and says, hey, I've got this comic book. We just made hundreds of thousands of this project on this comic book. Why don't we do a short story collection set in the same universe? Would you be open to something like that? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that'd be actually a lot of fun um, because there's all this interesting IP that you want to play with and sometimes you can't just do it graphically. Yeah, um, I, yeah by all means, that would be an interesting uh, opportunity. So how does, how does it work exactly? Because you say Crazy 8 Press is not a publisher. You're an imprint. So, so if, I, if I come to Crazy 8 Press, I've got a story, you guys decide you want to, want to have it in your... Uh, in your shop, what comes next? What's the process for getting something published th after that? All right. So J J Jason Hunt has written the great American novel and brings it to us. Um, if we would obviously, first, we need to know who you are. Sure. We, we definitely, you know, need to know who you are for starters. We, and if we're unfamiliar with your work as a writer, we would look at it and discuss it amongst ourselves. Um, it would need one of us to act as champion for it, Mike, just as Mike was for Christopher Abbott uh, and me for Jim Beard. After that, it would basically be, it's going to be self-published. We would prefer that you use Aaron Rosenberg to do the production design because he's done it for, I think, like 95% of our books. Um, so you pay Aaron something for that. You're going to have to pay somebody anyway. Right. Um, there we would offer free editorial service um, as editors. Uh, and after that, you know, you'd put on our, our imprint, you know, the Crazy 8 logo. We would help you um, use our bulk discount that we seem to have at Lightning Source and Create Space, um, you know, to make the cost per unit cost of your book uh, lower, uh, help you cross market and promote. We've got two people who are uh, by day marketing people, so they're good press releases, and we all would brainstorm campaigning. Okay. Um, and then you keep all the profit. You don't. You don't collect fees on any of that. Not unless you're paying for a service such no. as Aaron on book design. No. Oh, okay. All right. No. Um, no. That's why we're not a business. We're, we're much more collegial. Yeah which is one reason why we come out as haphazardly as we do. <laughs> so in, we fit it in. in effect, you're kind of like image was in the beginning where it was just you, this group of creators and you all own your own thing and you all do your sure. own thing and yeah. you just put a label. Yeah. on. So it'd be, you know, it, what was it? It was homage and wild storm and 
couple, you know, everybody created their own little company and then it became published through the image imprint so that it was, they had one person represent the whole line to Diamond. So arguably we were have books and we wanted to sell through Diamond. Uh, Glenn, Glenn would be our contactor through his work in comic mix. I gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, now, uh, the uh, website, let me show you this. Uh, for anybody who is interested in Crazy 8 Press, it is crazy8press.com. And that is the website where you could find all of the different things that are currently in in uh, in publication. I see quite a bit there. Um, and it crosses all the genres. Busy. I mean, you know, that's the thing. It, it's what we want to write that we think our readers would like. Yeah. Anything, and, anything know, that y'all have kicked around that that you kind of, eh, maybe not. Yeah, you know, there's. I'm, I'm sure that there've been some ideas that have been cast aside. I'm sure in the ten years, I, one of us has said to the other, "Hey, I'm thinking about this," and we go, "Not sure there, there's really something there to it." No. Um, but you know. None of us have veto power. If somebody really, really wanted to write a Harlequin romance style book, we're not going to say no because it's their passion. Yeah. All right. So we've got a video here uh, that we haven't played. Why don't we? Why don't I set that and let's play this real quick? This is the trailer for Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2021. Hi. I'm Bob Greenberger. Two years ago, I approached you and suggested you support my campaign for Thrilling Adventure Yarns. This was my way to celebrate the golden age of pulp magazines, and I was absolutely floored when 400 of you backed this book, and it came out, and it was very well received. Then people started asking me, Bob, when's the next one? The answer is now, as we launch our campaign for our second volume of Thrilling Adventure Yarns, and we are looking to launch this campaign today, run through 30 days, and have a book for you in February of 2021. I believe the pulp's power to entertain in all the various genres is worth remembering and worth celebrating with brand new stories. I have a bunch of returning authors from the first volume. I have a whole bunch of new authors and I have yet another unpublished story by Lester Dent, creator of Doc Savage. This is a mystery, and that'll be nice to have in this collection. I've asked some of the authors to share with you what their stories are about to get you interested, hopefully whet your appetites. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Mary Fan, and my contribution to the anthology is a horror story. It's about an ambitious young woman who wants desperately to join a mysterious, powerful club known as the League. Little does she know that behind those elite, hallowed gates lies something sinister. So, Bob, oh, I probably should introduce myself. My name's Kevin. <laughs> and I'm Dayton. And Bob asked us to talk about our story for Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2, which is called Protocol... 37. That was it. One of those numbers. Right. <laughs> I don't even remember what number it is. So, but uh, the story actually originated with Dayton, so I'm going to let him start it off. We wanted to create a hero that would be in the vein of the Green Hornet or the Shadow, so a vigilante who is a regular person or a, quote, regular person during the daylight and not you know not gifted with superpowers and is a, is a, a champion of justice for the oppressed. Named? The Wraith. The Wraith. So cool, we don't even use her in the story. <laughs> we end up writing the story about her sidekicks, her tech support crew, her guys in the warehouse who keep take care of all of her weapons and equipment and all of her secrets. We decided that that was the more interesting story. It, well, it certainly is a story that is not told as often. I mean, when you look at, at characters like the Shadow, one of the things that they, that they always underscore in these books is the network of people that are working with him to uh, deliver justice. I, and, uh, and I think the Shadow knows we couldn't write a story about the Shadow, so we decided to go <laughs> with the Shadow sidekick. So that's a good look at Protocol 37. Hi guys, Paige Daniels here. I'm here to tell you a little bit about my story in Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2. It is called Quake. 
It happens about 20 years after Opium Dreams, which I wrote for Thrilling Adventure Yarns 1. It happens during the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco. And also, if you found like the first one didn't, you know, maybe wasn't satisfying, didn't give you closure, this one definitely has closure and I've, it's going to give you all the feels. Hi, I'm William Leisner, and my contribution to Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2 is a story called Lost Gold and Quicksilver. This story introduces Casey Flynn, a tough-as-nails aviatrix who's hired by a young widow to help her find a cache of lost California gold hidden years ago by her grandfather. What they find instead is a secret cabal working on a project that has the potential to tip the balance of global power and change the course of history. This is a story unlike any I have written before, and I'm really excited to be able to share it with this great collection of other authors. Hi, I'm Sherry Cook Woosley. I'm an author in Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2, and I'm writing a Western story. So I came to the stable to get inspiration. And sure enough, I was inspired by real-life Mustang trainer Ann Hanlon and her Mustang Woodrow from Wyoming. My story features a cowgirl named Morgan Barclay and her quest to find out where she belongs by rounding up Mustangs in the West. If you're interested in Woodrow's real-life adventures, you can find him on Facebook at SBF Mustang Adventing. And if you want to read about his fictional adventures, you can find them in Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2. I'm Kelly Fitzpatrick. Uh, my story is called The Shadow Lady of Docktown, and it's a fantasy noir. And the main character uh, possesses some magical abilities called shadow pulling, and she uncovers a corrupt plot, but in the middle of that gets called upon for a mission of mercy that goes horribly wrong, and she has to problem-solve her way out of it. Hi, I'm Michael A. Burstein, uh, and I am delighted to have a story in uh, the next Thrilling Wonder Stories. Um, I'm hoping you guys will enjoy this too. It's a story <laughs> about what happens in the afterlife based on sort of the uh, occult stories of the pulps. Uh, and it turns out that in the world I've portrayed, um, you don't actually go to your final afterlife right away, but you spend quite a few, well, maybe years, maybe eons, in a place called the dream world, where the souls work under the guidance of the guides in order to build the dreams for the dreamers, the people who are still living. Uh, hi, my name's Stuart Moore. I'm glad to be part of Thrilling Adventure Yarns. Um, I've had the idea for my story for a while. Um, I think of it as Conan with a beautiful mind. Um, I'm fascinated by the whole idea of learning, of knowledge itself. Uh, what spurred it forward in ancient times and the setbacks it's had as well. Uh, the whole Camelot theme of great civilizations being lost forever. Um, in Sword and Sorcery, that's often represented by Atlantis, which looms in the background of my story. Anyway, it's a stew of elements that I hope comes together to form a fresh take on a genre I love. Um, and if the details of horses or swords are wrong, don't tell me. I do not want to know. Hi, I'm David Mack the New York Times bestselling author of some three dozen novels of science fiction, fantasy, and adventure. I'm also the author of the new short story Fiasco in the new anthology Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2, edited by Bob Greenberg. When I agreed to write a story for this anthology, I told Bob that I wanted to do something different from what I'd written for the first Thrilling Adventure Yarns anthology. This time, I wanted to go noir. Bob said, that sounds like a great idea. I had just one problem. I had no actual story idea. <laughs> Thankfully, what I did have was the role-playing game Fiasco, which is designed to craft scenarios about people with poor impulse control making really bad decisions. So I found a game with a Los Angeles setting, and I randomly generated a new scenario from which I developed my story, which I tweaked as I went along. The result was a tale of betrayal, revenge, lust, and greed. It's about an LAPD detective in 1956 
a man caught up in the middle of a love triangle gone murderously wrong. So, that's my story, which, as I said, is called Fiasco. I hope you dig it. And if you enjoy reading it half as much as I enjoy writing it, well, then I will have had twice as much fun as you. Nanu Nanu, Space Cadets. But wait, there is more. In addition to the authors you saw, including Stuart Moore, who is not in our initial lineup, he is one of four authors we are going to be adding to uh, our stretch goals. Uh, I've got an additional stretch goal where I want to do in a Kickstarter exclusive cover. And uh, that would be our ultimate stretch goal. So that would be uh, the icing on the cake. And it certainly makes for a nice collectible for you guys since it won't be available anywhere else. I have a variety of reward goals from a dollar up to $250. I certainly have stretch goals that will allow us to add interior illustrations as well as hopefully our uh, Kickstarter exclusive cover. I think this could be an even better collection as we span the genres of sword and sorcery, and horror, the occult. Um, science fiction, western, war, two-fisted detectives. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I hope you join me on this journey and I hope you consider backing us. Thank you for your consideration. Crazy 8 Press. And it is, uh, it is uh, Thrilling Adventure Yarns 2, now funding over on Kickstarter. And uh, Bob Greenberger, we do appreciate you taking the time to sit here and talk with us about it. Uh, My pleasure. I think we went up 100 bucks in the last hour, so that's a good sign. Uh, that is that is a good sign. Let's see where we're at here. Uh, I see, yeah, 4302. I think, yes, I think you did go up a little bit. All so, right. I appreciate that, everyone. Well, and uh, and good luck with it. Thanks, everybody, who are who have dropped into the chat. If you've got comments you'd like to leave uh, after the fact, if you're listening to this as a podcast or you're watching this uh, online uh, in replay, uh, don't forget you can leave us a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And don't forget tonight uh, we have our... Uh, continuation of the Walking and Rolling Costumes virtual party going on now through Sunday, every night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, uh, where we tell the stories about uh, uh, the kids and the volunteers who are building costumes for them uh, so they can they can cosplay in their wheelchairs and their walkers. It's a it's a uh, it's a good uh, a good cause uh, all the way around. So, Bob Greenberger, thanks very much for being here today, sir. Appreciate all the support, Jason. All it's right. Nice chatting. All right. Good luck with it. And thanks, everybody, in the chat. And don't forget, we are here uh, pretty much uh, every day, Monday through Thursday, live from the bunker at noon central tomorrow. Cat Rambo will be here. And we will have a brand new TARDIS sauce talking about Doctor Who. I think tomorrow night their, their topic is Bill uh, as they go through the examination of the companion. So we want you to join us for that. And then we will be back here with more all through the week, so we do invite you to subscribe, hit the notification bell so you know when we put new content out, and we will be back with more here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thanks for being here, everyone. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.